0: I want you to notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Then again, the same verse, but from another translation, the Good News Bible says, You learned from us how you should live in order to please God. So God is concerned about how we live, not just what we believe. Amen. So he's not talking about two different things. We taught you how to walk and then also how to please God, it's one thing, how to walk, how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And that means you won't be able to please God unless you're taught, amen? And we need to know this, that Christ died for us so that we could live for him, not just live, but live for Him. In other words, the reason Jesus went to the cross is not only to save us, but also to make our life an example for others so that we could live for Him and not for ourselves. Amen? Now, know this. It's very important that you know this. God loves all of us equally. Amen? There's nobody in this room that God loves more than you. Amen? But God is not necessarily pleased with all of us equally because they're two different things. You see, God loves us because he is good. He is pleased with us because we are good. Are you out there today? His love is unconditional. Him being pleased with us is conditional. So you might need to know this. Don't confuse God's affections for God's approval. God loves you. That doesn't necessarily mean He loves everything you're doing. And even if God is not pleased with what you're doing at the moment, He didn't stop loving you. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, we're talking about living a life that pleases God and doing it More and more. So the title of this message is More and More. Uh, Brother Tito, this is More and More, part two. (laughs) Many people, many people think it's impossible to please God. That no matter what you do, he'll never be satisfied. And so uh, they don't even try. Don't even try. They give up. I mean, after all, if something is unattainable... Why bother? But it is possible to please God. In fact, it's easier to please God than most people think. In fact, I would say it's easier to please God than some people I know. Some people will never be pleased. But thank God, they're not God. Amen. See, in this verse that we read, First Thessalonians 4.1, Paul said that, you know, you learn from us how you should live in a way to please God. And then he went on to say, and you are doing this just as you are doing. So the point is that these people in the church at Thessalonica were pleasing God. And if they could do it, you can do it too. It's not like, no, no one who's ever lived has ever pleased God. That's not true. Paul said, they were pleasing God. So look at your neighbor and say, you can please God. Amen. Now in Christ we have been made the righteousness of God. We have right standing with God. We can stand in the presence of God without any sense of condemnation. Hmm? However, you need to know something. In order to make us righteous, God did not simply put your name in a ledger book. You know, for years I thought that, you know, when you got saved or, you know, God just maybe in his book, his journal, he wrote like a little R by your name for Ralton. No, for righteous. Or, uh, Or maybe put a star by your name. And maybe he did. I don't know. But that's not the way God made you righteous. The way he made you righteous is by imparting to your spirit his own righteous nature in the new birth. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. And this is very important. This is very important. A lot, of, a lot of Christians know that we're righteous in Christ, but here's the next step. He made us righteous so we could live righteously. And some people don't see that. We need to see that. He made you righteous, not so you can just say, I'm the righteousness of God, hallelujah, and then live like the devil, no. He made you righteous. He imparted his righteous nature to you so you could live right. Amen? He gave us new life so that we could live a new way. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. So that means we have the ability from God to please him. We have that ability. Now here's something else you need to know. It's real quiet in this Holy Ghost, Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic church. Now here you go, <laughs> wherever you are. I shouldn't say that, some people are really confused. Is this a Baptist, is this a Catholic? Is this a Presbyterian church? This is just a church, hallelujah. He made us righteous, he imparted his righteous nature into our hearts. He, we were changed in the moment that we received Christ, you see. And he made us righteous so we could live right, righteously. However, if we do not live right, if we choose not, because you do have a choice, right? If we choose not to live righteously, it will largely nullify the effects of our righteousness. If we choose not to live right, it will largely diminish the effects and the advantages of our righteousness. Are you out there today? I'm not suggesting that if we sin, we lose our salvation. I didn't say that because that's not true. You don't lose your salvation when you sin. If that was the case, then most of us would have to get born again again every day see but sin limits us spiritually it has a negative effect on our life spiritually even though we are a child of God are you with me you understand that hallelujah notice this scripture in the first epistle of John chapter 3 verse 21 beloved so by the way that shows you that John is writing to Christians Beloved, he means loved by God, family of God, children of God. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. All right? Now, the word condemn in that verse does not mean cursed, it does not mean lost, it doesn't mean going to hell. The word condemn in that verse means. To find fault with. To find fault with. In other words, what he said is this. If our conscience is clear, then we can have boldness with God. See, if our conscience is clear, right, then we have boldness with God. However, the opposite is also true if our conscience, if our heart is troubled because of wrongdoing, our faith will be feeble. You out there today? I said, if our conscience, if our heart is troubled, see, when we do wrong, we have a monitor on the inside of us. You don't have to ask a dozen people, do you think I was right or wrong? You know. You have a monitor on the inside of you your own conscience, your heart, and the Holy Spirit bears witness with your heart, you know, see, and when your conscience is troubled, doesn't mean you're lost, we're talking to Christians now, if your conscience is troubled, then your faith will not function. You will not have that boldness and confidence with God. So, I'm reminded of a story, a man with diabetes, came to John G. Lake. John G. Lake lived in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, and he was a tremendous man of God, had a powerful uh, healing ministry. This man came to Lake for healing. And as they knelt to pray together, John G. Lake saw $5,000 flash before his spirit. So he stopped praying and said, wait a minute, I have to ask you something. What is this $5,000 that is coming up in my heart? Did you steal $5,000? And the man admitted that when his brother died, their partnership business partnership was dissolved and he kept back Part of the proceeds of the business that should have gone to his widowed sister-in-law, his brother's wife. He kept back part of the money and she didn't know it. But see, now the Holy Ghost is telling off on him. (laughs) And so Lake instructed the man to make restitution. So the man wrote a check for $5,000 and mailed it to his sister-in-law. He did so, and he came back to Lake, to the office, with renewed confidence in God. And Lake says, and he prayed like a man on fire, and he was healed. Listening to me? Hallelujah. So you need to know this. You cannot fully please God without faith. And without pleasing God you cannot fully function in faith faith does not work with a heart tainted with sin now you can understand why the enemy would tempt us to sin now why don't you do this why don't you smoke this why don't you drink this why don't you do this why would the enemy take an interest in tempting you to do wrong is it because he feels sorry for you? The devil's thinking, you know, you're not having any fun. It really bothers me that you're just home on Saturday night. No, that is not why he tempts us. He wants to neutralize you. He wants to shut down your faith. He wants to limit you. He wants to put you in a place where your prayers are ineffective, where your confession is of no effect. Are you listening to me? So, so we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. Hallelujah. If we fail, we can be cleansed and restored to God because God is rich in mercy. How many of you have found out that God is rich in mercy? Come on, can I see your hand? How many of you have found out that God is full of mercy? You can never exhaust The mercy of God. Hallelujah. How many of you have, uh, how many of you are here today because of the mercy of God? Can I see your hand as well? If you didn't raise your hand, you should have. The angels are looking at you right now wondering what's going on with that guy. It's because of the mercy of God that you've made it this far. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, we cannot make restitution to God. We can't pay him back. For our wrong doing. But we should. Jesus made restitution with his blood. But we should whenever possible. Endeavor to make restitution with man. It's real quiet today. I said you cannot make restitution to God. You can't pay him back. For all you've done wrong. Look God I've just sinned. I've not, so here's one lack God. I hope that will pay the bill. No no no. The bill was paid on the cross. You can't make restitution to God. But you should, when possible, sometimes it's not possible. You should be willing or endeavor to make restitution with man. So in other words, if you steal your neighbor's motorbike and then crash it, you can say, Lord, forgive me, I've sinned. And now replace your neighbor's motorbike. If you stole a chicken, some of you look like chicken thieves, I'm not (laughs) sure. If you stole a chicken, you can say, Lord, forgive me, and he will. Now, number two, you need to replace that chicken you stole. Whenever possible, you should endeavor to make restitution to your fellow man. That's what happened. Amen? All right, we're talking about living a life that's pleasing to God. It doesn't seem like the most exciting subject, but then again, I'm not trying to excite you. I'm trying to help you. Notice this scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, or with all your strength. And Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. So this is more important than anything else. Love God. Completely. It's more important than anything else. In other words, the greatest commandment is not a do not. Thou shalt not. The greatest commandment is thou shalt. See, in other words, you could just be doing nothing. You know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't chew. Yeah, that's nice. But if you don't love God lavishly, you're failing in the most important thing. Ooh, ooh. Look at those blank stares. Look at you, I bless your darling heart. That's true. I said that's true. Amen. So the greatest thing, the most important thing, is to love God. Yes. It's most, in fact, if you do that, then every other commandment is easy. Now, here's the deal. If you love someone you will do your best to please that person. How many wives here would say amen to that? I said how many wives would say amen to that? Not too many. Hallelujah. If you love someone, you will do your best to please that person. Amen? So pleasing God should be what we live for. So It's just not enough to say, like, love the Lord your God, amen, that's true, brother. That's not enough. You have to demonstrate it by living a life that's pleasing to God. That's how you show you love him. Some people say, I love you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, I love you, I love you, Lord. Prabhu, I love you. And then live like a dog. <laughs> That's not going to work. You prove, you prove your love by endeavoring to do your best to live a life that pleases Him. And you can please Him because He made you righteous. You have the power to do that. You can't say, I can't help it. I can't. He makes me so angry. Let me help you sister. Nobody makes you angry. Anger is a choice. You choose to be angry. Real quiet in here. It's getting quieter and quieter. We're not even even Roman Catholic. We're just a library. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord. And if you love someone you will endeavor to please Him. So we should live to please God. So if we are confronted with a choice to please man and displease God or to please God and displease man, we always choose God. Did you get me? If we we have to make a choice between pleasing God or pleasing man, We must choose to please God. I'm gonna please him if it displeases you because I'm not living for you. You didn't die for me. Amen. I'm gonna walk his way even if I walk alone. But I'll not be alone, he'll be with me. Hallelujah. I'd rather have the smile of heaven than the accolades of man. Because people are fickle. Not you wonderful people, but those other folks out there. People are fickle. They love you today, tomorrow they hate you. Huh, right? One week they say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And before the week is out, those same people are shouting crucify him. Amen? We choose to please God. Why? Because the greatest commandment is not to love everybody else. Actually the greatest commandment is to love God. And you can't love others if you don't love God. Amen. Amen. Notice this scripture. Psalm 145 verse 20 in the easy to read version says, The Lord protects everyone who loves Him. The Lord protects everyone who loves Him well 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 we just got through saying if you love him you will endeavor to please him so we could say the Lord watches over the Lord the Lord uh, 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 takes care of those who please him so pleasing God has something to do with your life there are benefits to pleasing God Romans eight twenty eight is a favorite verse of many Christians and we know that for all we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Notice it, doesn't, it does not say, For those whom God loves, all things work together for good. Because God loves everybody. He loves the world. He sent His Son to die for the world. It doesn't say that. It says, those who love Him. And we just got through telling you, if you love Him, you will endeavor to please Him. For those who are endeavoring to live a life that is pleasing to God, all things are working together for good. Come on, it's real quiet. I smell like flesh burning. Is that lunch or is that your body? (laughs) Amen. We're all together. Amen. Let's give you another verse. Judges 531. I bet you don't know this verse by heart, do you? Don't blame you. Judges 531, but I'll read from the C-E-V. Contemporary English version. But let everyone who loves you shine brightly like the sun at dawn. I like that verse. But let everyone who loves you, loves God, shine brightly like the sun at dawn. Well, we could say it this way. Those who are pleasing to God are radiant. The sun is a star. So in heaven, if you please God, you're a star. You're better than Bollywood or Jollywood or Hollywood. You're a star in heaven. You're radiant. You shine bright in God's eyes because you're endeavoring to please him. Is my mic still on? Some of you, I think, your body is in the chair and your spirit is having lunch down the street in the restaurant. Are you still here today? Would you please just touch your neighbor and see if the corpse is cold? (laughs) (laughs) Again, if you love him, you will endeavor to please him. Let those who love him shine brightly. Now think about this. When I say the word power, like think of the most dramatic example of a display of power on earth. Maybe someone here would think of a nuclear bomb going off. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, you know, huge bomb, right? Power. But the sun releases the equivalent of 10 billion hydrogen bombs every second. There are not 10 billion hydrogen bombs on Earth. There may be a few thousand, but there are not a billion. 10 billion every second. What does that mean? That means those who please God are more powerful than any weapon that any man could ever devise. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say I think he's talking to you. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Talk about pleasing God. Here's a good one. Proverbs 16 verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There is a correlation, there is a connection between pleasing God and peace with men. Now, I realize he didn't say you'll never have any enemies but he'll bring peace to your situation. Amen? The Bible says concerning King Solomon in 1 Kings 4.24, and he had peace on all sides around him. Why? Because he pleased God. So because you are justified by faith, you have peace with God. But because you live justly, you can have peace with men. Amen? Amen. In fact, most of our problems, you know, are not in the heavenlies. They're on the other side of our boundary wall. The Bible says, love your enemy, and it says, love your neighbor. It's usually the same person. Amen? God can bring peace on all sides. Amen? 2 Samuel 7, 1 says... God gave David rest from all his surrounding enemies. In other words, it can, you know, dealing with contentious people can wear you out. Whew. All the call you all night, every hour of the night, and and, and just whew, can just wear you out. Just so stressed out. But God can give you rest from your enemies. He can silence the mouth of the adversary. He can diminish your foes. In Isaiah 41, 12, God promised, those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. You'll even look for them and not be able to find them if you live to please God. Amen. Here's a wonderful verse. Now, somebody is surely going to jump up and shout glory when I read this verse. Hold on. Don't do it yet, but hold on. Ecclesiastes 2:26. Some of you didn't even know these books were in the Bible. Yeah, Ecclesiastes 226 I'm not making this up. Ecclesiastes 2:26, "For to the one who pleases him, that means pleases God. To the one who pleases God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy." Wait, wait wait, wait, wait wait, wait wait, 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 that's not it. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. You didn't hear me, honey. I said, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God, hallelujah. the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the one who pleases God. Oh, come on. So you might be tempted to be full of envy and jealousy. Look at those people corrupt and these people. Now, how did they get their money and they're living like the devil? Blah, 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 blah. Don't worry about that. You just keep on pleasing God. You just keep on pleasing God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't get your eyes on man. Amen. God will put those who do not please him to work for those who do. So go ahead, fill your bank account. Go ahead, steal all that money. Go ahead, do it, do it. I'm just going to keep my eyes, on, my eyes on the Lord. The wealth of the sinners laid up for the just. Hallelujah. And he says he gives wisdom to those who please him. Wisdom is knowing what to do in any given situation. So that means if you're not serious about pleasing God, there'll be a lot of confusion in your life. I'm just so confused. Well, let's start by loving God completely and endeavoring to please Him in all we do. Amen? Amen. Psalm 147, verse 11. Can you take some more? Besides Jeppy, can you take some more? Psalm 147, verse 11. But the Lord takes pleasure. What does God take pleasure in? Those who are talented. Mm, Doesn't say that. Those who are the good-looking ones, like me and maybe another one over there. No, 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 no. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. See, that has to do with your attitude. See, some people think, as long as I look nice, all is well. You can look nice and have a wrong attitude. And by the way, you may think we don't know what your attitude is. We know. It's written all over your face. Amen. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Now, what does that mean? To fear the Lord doesn't mean you're terrified of Him. It means to have deep respect for God. Deep respect for God. More than that, the fear of the Lord means to be in awe of who he is you know when i say awe awe it means like you're thunderstruck you're it takes your breath away you're just like you know you're you're astounded right don't like a brother told earlier I, I just don't have the word to say it well that's 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 god that's how who god is when you know who he is it it's just like amazing right hallelujah so know this We rejoice in God's presence. We also tremble before him. I said we rejoice in God's presence. We also tremble before him. That seems like a contradiction, but both are true. Because he's an awesome God. He's an amazing God. Christians who have a very casual attitude toward God don't know him as well as they think. They, they kind of refer to God like he's just the little boy down the street. Hello, Lord, hey Jesus, high five, how you doing? Can you guys say? They, they don't have a revelation of the awesomeness of who God is. There's, when you are in the presence of God, there is like a holy fear He is amazing. Sometimes you don't even want to say a word. Are you listening to me? The the fear of the Lord, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. The fear of the Lord is a wholesome or healthy dread of displeasing God. I don't want to displease Him. See? Now, if you deliberately... You know, on purpose. If you deliberately do things that displeases someone, that shows that person is unimportant to you. Did you hear me? If you deliberately, you know, continually, purposefully, willfully displease someone, that shows, that proves that that person is unimportant to you it doesn't mean anything to you in other words in your mind you don't care what that person thinks about you right so like um i don't know uh if you were to tell me uh brother john uh the sub g wall is not happy with you no disrespect to that you know Or, or, Brother John, the the, the Walla is not happy with you. I might say, okay, what's wrong, you know? I'm not going to have any trouble sleeping tonight, to be honest with you. But if you were to say to me, like, Brother John, your pastor is not happy. My pastor, you know, uh, I've been a part of that church for some 40 years. You know, my pastor is not happy with me. Well, that that would bother me. I don't want to displease him because I have such respect for him. Man of God who's been in the ministry for... I don't know, 60 years, that that would concern me, right? Are you listening to me? Amen. Now, Psalm 14, verse 1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But, I'm telling you, the man who knows there is a God, and yet lightly esteems him is worse than a fool. He's a stupid moron, that's truth. See, the fool says there is no God. And you can't expect someone to honor someone who in his mind doesn't even exist, so he's a fool. But when you know God is real and choose to dishonor him, you're worse than a fool. You're an insolent rebel. You're like the devil. You're out there today? So God is pleased by those who have a, a reverential fear of him. I don't want to displease you, God. See, well, what is the best reason not to do wrong? It's not because people might find out and I'll be embarrassed. It's not because you know I might get in trouble the best reason not to do wrong is I don't want to displease my Heavenly Father, even if nobody ever knows about it. Even if there seemingly are no repercussions, He'll know, and that will hurt Him. And if it hurts Him, it should hurt me. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Now, continually displeasing God is more than a mistake, a wrong step, or bad behavior. It may indicate a far more serious heart issue. To continually, we we all make missteps. We all fail in many ways, and I'm not talking about that. But when you continually live a life that is displeasing to God, that may indicate a serious heart issue. I think some people in the church world displease God because they are angry at God. They don't want to admit that, but it's true. And God knows their hearts. They're angry at God. I mean, they're in church. They're angry at Him perhaps because they blame Him but their disappointments why didn't you do this God why did you allow my loved one to die why did you allow this tragedy to happen to me so in their hearts they are angry at God and because they're angry at him they consciously or unconsciously want to disrespect him See, there's nothing you can do against God. So you think, well, my way of taking revenge on you is I'm not going to honor you. See what I'm saying? And a reason why people live to displease God is they imagine that God doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about me. Maybe he loves you, Pastor John, but he doesn't love me. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we read, we love, and we could say we love Him because He first loved us. If we don't really believe that God loves us, we will not be able to love Him. And I'm thinking there's a lot of people in the church world and again, in their minds, God hates them. God hates me. I've had people, you know, over the years say things to me. People, born-again Christians say, I don't know who hates me more, God or the devil. Nothing could be more foolish to say a thing like that. There's nobody who ever loves you like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody. The devil has lied to you. The world. The devil is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the one that brings cancer to your loved ones, not God. God doesn't put cancer on his children. And the devil wreaks havoc in our lives. And then the devil lies and said, God did that to you. He's a liar. I said, he's a liar. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We show our love by doing what pleases him. So to walk in a way that pleases God, you must have a revelation of his love for you. When you really have come to know and realize how great is his love for you, you will want to love him and then you will want to please him. And if you think God doesn't love you, he doesn't really care about you, then you won't care about loving him either. It's just human nature. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. God's not to blame. And if, and if you're here today and you secretly have resentment and anger in your heart toward God, let me tell you something. You're, you're, you're directing your anger in the wrong direction. God's not your problem. He's your answer. And if you'll let go of that, that anger and hostility and just turn with him, turn to Him with your whole heart. He can open doors for you, He can change things in your life, but He requires your cooperation because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, and if you hate Him, you're obviously not loving Him. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah, we have to wrap this up. A couple of quick verses, we're talking about living a life that pleases God. Psalm 34 verse seven, the angel of the Lord in camps, Oh, I like that. He, that means he has like, you know, sandbags, tents, you know, boundary wall. He encamps around those who fear him, who fear the Lord, and delivers them. So again, if you love the Lord, you'll want to please him. Pleasing God has something to do with divine protection. I said pleasing God has something to do with divine protection. Amen. Then again, verse 9, Psalm 34, verse 9, those who fear him have no lack. That means there's, there's supernatural provision for those who want to please God. Hallelujah. Let's give you another verse. Psalm 25 verse 14. The friendship, this is interesting, this is the English Standard Version I believe. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. Ooh. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Intimacy with God requires deep respect for him, which is translated into a desire to please him. And pleasing God is the key to revelation. I read the Bible, and it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't get nothing out of it maybe you need to make an attitude adjustment. When the Bible starts feeling like a dead letter to me, I know right away I'm, I need to make an, I'm, I'm not where I should be, I need to make a, a little adjustment because if you're in the right place, it'll speak to you, amen. Now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians and we'll wrap this up, I've only got a few minutes left. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, we read verse one, but let's read verse two and three. Brother John, if you thought it was quiet up till now, it's going to get super quiet now. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4, verse 2 and 3. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, this is the will of God your sanctification pleasing God requires knowing his will you can't please someone if you don't know what he wants where can I find the will of God in the word of God most people most Christians do not need a special revelation like a vision or prophecy they need the general revelation of God's word In other words they don't need a word of knowledge they need knowledge of the word now let me say this to you we cannot be selective about the will of God the will of God is not a buffet table at a wedding reception where you can choose the items you like and ignore the dishes you don't prefer Like here you go, here's pork, okay I'll take some of that. Here you know some vegetables, Eh, a little bit like that. Here's you know uh, uh, a bamboo shoot, Uh, no thanks. Here's aucine, Pastor John says no glory. You know, So it's, but the will of God is not like that. When you are selective about the will of God, well I'll do this but I'm not going to do that, you're not living to please Him, you're living to please yourself. The real test of living to please God is when He asks you to do something your flesh does not want to do. Amen. But I just got through reading all these benefits of living to please God. And we need to do that more and more. Hallelujah. What is the will of God? Well this verse tells us very clearly. For this is the will of God. You don't have to pray. You don't have to go to Mount Saramonte and fast for 40 days. It's right here in the Bible. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. I noticed nobody, no one shouted glory when I said that. No one jumped up and danced when I said that. Say it again, sanctification. If you want to live a life that pleases God, here's a good place to start, right? The Greek word translated sanctification Hagiasmos, Mos this Greek word means to be pure. So this is the will of God, that you are pure. We all want to drink pure water. We all want to breathe pure air. We all want pure petrol in our vehicles. God wants us to keep a pure heart so we can live a pure life. Purity means without mixture. I said purity means there's no mixture, no additives, nothing else diluting it, no, it's nothing adulterating it, no alloys, it's 100%. Now, for example, here we have our water bottle. We have lots of water bottles on the front row. That's one of the perks from working here on staff is they give you water bottles, praise the Lord. Because we're up here talking a lot, praying a lot, and we get thirsty. Hmm. So here's my water bottle. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, it's 100% water, H2O, right? If I add a drop of ink to this bottle, it's no longer pure. Right? right, Let's see what happens. You probably can never guess what's going to happen right now, can you? So I'll just borrow this pencil. I hope this works. If this doesn't work, I'm gonna really look silly. Oh, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I just put a drop of ink on my iPad, glory. No, (laughs) I just put a drop of ink in this water bottle. All right, sister, you look kind of thirsty. Would you like to have some of my water? No? Okay, I don't blame you, sister. (laughs) Because who wants to drink water that isn't pure, see? Sanctification does not mean mostly pure. Sanctification does not mean more or less clean. Sanctification does not mean generally holy. You know, people say, well, you know, Brother Zama Zama is basically honest. He only lies when he has to, which is all the time. <laughs> that's, that's not pure. And, and, and one other thought, purity implies something of value. Purity implies something of value. No one cares if you have pure rubbish. Even if your rubbish is impure, that's fine. Burn it anyways. We don't care. Hey, this is pure chicken manure. Glory. Well, we're so happy for you. Glad there's no impurities in your chicken manure. But, you know, who cares about that? It's things that are of value when they're pure that that's significant, that means something, amen? So the purity, this is so important, the purity that God desires from us is not just the absence of bad things. See, like if, if the bottle is empty, there's no ink in it, but there's nothing in it, so it doesn't matter. The purity that God desires is not the absence of some bad things, It's the fullness of his good things. Are you listening to me? So in other words, we should have pure joy. We should have pure peace. We should have pure praise. We should have pure faith. We should have pure strength, pure power, pure patience, pure devotion, pure faithfulness. And on and on it goes. And no drop of impurity. So again, our text says you're doing this. You're pleasing God. And so now we ask you and urge you to do so more and more. More and more. That means please God even more. Is that possible? Yes. So you, you, like the people in Thessalonica, I think I could say this generally, that you are living a life that pleases God, glory. Now do so more and more. Now do so more and more, so that every little detail of your life is pleasing to him. One last verse, everybody say, oh brother. Yes, one last verse. Psalm 1914, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It doesn't start on the outside. It doesn't start with the things that everybody can see. It starts on the inside. It starts with our thoughts. If we want to be pleasing to God more and more, we'll have to change the way we think. Pure thoughts that produce pure words and a pure attitude. And then pure actions and pure habits and a pure lifestyle. Hallelujah. And the way to live a life that is pleasing to God is not to try to keep your thoughts away from things that are wrong. I'm not going to think about drugs. I am not going to think about drugs. No more drugs. No more. I'm not going to think about drugs. I'm trying not to think about drugs. But you're thinking about it. I'm not gonna think about, you know, alcohol. I'm not gonna think about the cigarettes. I'm not gonna think about these things. The way to live a life that is pleasing to God is not to try to keep your mind off of sinful things, but to focus on the things of God. To be mindful of Him every day. All right, so my bottled water. I'm not gonna drink this. Uh, Toka, you can have it after the service, but I could could try to remove the ink from this bottle, but it's impossible because now it's blended in with all the water. However, if I had another container of water, I could just keep filling this bottle till it overflows. Just keep filling it, just keep filling it, and it would flush out all the polluted water till eventually there's only pure. If you just keep your heart, Replenished. This is something that everybody in X knows. If you just keep your heart filled with the thoughts of God, it'll purify your mind. 2024 is the year for more. I said 2024 is the year for more. Not just more blessings. That's good. Not just more benefits. That's great. But we aim higher. I said we aim higher, more maturity, more growth, more development, to be more like Christ, to live a life that is more pleasing to God. We want God to change our circumstance. He wants to change us. And before God can change the scenery in your life, He must change you.